0: To help me ask the right questions in practice. I'm big on that. If I don't really understand it, I'll ask, or if I have an idea, I would ask, what do you think if I come off and throw it quicker this way? Just because it's something that I've saw. And nine times out of 10, the coaches, they've seen the same thing that I'm looking at because they're studying these other teams as well. If I'm able to understand why to do things, it's easier for me to do them. And it also helps me with communication with the coach. You know, it builds trust there as well.
1: Welcome to Slapping Glass, where we explore basketball's best ideas, strategies, and coaches from around the world. Today, we're excited to welcome current European professional point guard at a Drexel University, Franz Mazenet. Franz is here today to discuss what he's learned at his stops in Germany, Spain, and now Italy, the art of the pick and roll, on-time, on-target passing, giving back to your basketball community, and we talk four-on-four and team bus rides during the always fun, overrated, or underrated. If you haven't already, please make sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating and review. Follow us for daily, detailed breakdowns on Twitter and YouTube, and subscribe to our Sunday morning newsletter where we consolidate and break down much of the best that we've seen from around the world of basketball. And now, please enjoy our conversation with Franz Mazanet.
2: Move into when you came overseas and began your professional career. How did the coaching change from that of being in the States and being a college player and now you're a pro and you're in Europe?
0: Yeah. It's different now because coaches here could kind of get rid of you in high school and college. They really can't get rid. Of, well, when I was in college, they don't really they can't really get rid of you like this, you know. But here as a professional, you either get with it or you kind of got to go, you know. And for me, all my experiences overseas, except one coach, I've had all Yugoslavian coaches. And okay. here overseas, you know, Yugoslavian coaches are old fashioned. They're very disciplined and everything. So. For me, having all these coaches, especially for my first start, it was good for me. I had like a a wake-up call when I first started. I first started in Germany at NBC. And as a rookie, like I started on a tryout. And it's like a 30-day, a month or whatever. They just want to see how you are. You know, you're coming from college. This is their their club. Now I can kind of understand it a little bit. But, uh, well, I think I'm doing well. And then they bring me Uh to the office and they're like, look, We have this last preseason tournament coming up, and this kind of determines if you stay or if you go, you know? And they told me this on a Monday, and the tournament wasn't until Saturday. And all week long, I'm thinking about this, like, man, this is my first time away from home. I'm calling my dad, like, are they going to let me go? This is going to be embarrassing. Man, what's going on? And this tournament comes, and we play against actually cup teams in this tournament, and I played through the roof. And, like, my career kind of was set from there, you know?
1: Franz, can you talk a little bit to the differences in style in the different countries that you've been at? Just an overall philosophy that you feel like is inherent in those different countries.
0: Yeah, uh, so this is my seventh year playing, and I've been in three countries. Like you said, I started in Germany. I went to Spain, and now I'm in Italy. But the German basketball style is more so, uh, I would say, Physical, is speed to it, but it's more physical, especially when I first started. But the players here were really good. Like, I like the league and I like how everything is taken care of in the league. And that's what was good for me. It was more physical, but I'm more of a speed type of player. So I kind of stood out a little bit. Then moving to Spain, <laughs> this is like geometry on the basketball court, really. <laughs> at a fast pace, at a fast pace. I don't know. I would say like my first two months, I'm just trying to figure out the language, you know, the language and moving at the same time, your next defense and, and your rotations and you trap the ball and where you go after you trap. It's just a lot of things and you help so much and then you wait for your athletic big guy to come back. And then, yeah, it was just so much, you know, but once you can figure this out, it's, it's amazing. Like it's beautiful basketball. For me, once I could figure it out and play how I want to at that level, I knew I could be a good player in the system that we had. So Spain is fast, it's physical, it's athletic, and you have to think through all three of those things. That's a lot, and that's every game. You know, uh, Spain has all the EuroLeague teams, they have all the Cup teams, all the EuroCup Champions League teams, and this is every game. And then you have to bring it every time with traveling to other places and then coming back home to play. Moving towards Italy, I would say it's more like finesse. Uh, Is this what you want to call finesse? And also with more uh, of a speed, I would say less physical than Germany and Spain. But uh, for me to come from the Spanish league to go to the Italian league, it wasn't as hard of an adjustment for me. So to go from Germany to Spain was like, i say a harder adjustment, to go from Spain to Italy, it was just an easier investment for me.
2: Franz, if I can quickly, looking at your stop in Spain, as far as how you learned the game, what were some of the ways outside of playing five on five that helped you to pick up the game and learn the Spanish game? Watching it. Yeah.
0: This would kind of help me a little bit. Watching our teams play in the cups, like watching a lot of like our Euroleague teams play in the Euroleague, watching the teams play in the Euro Cup. But also watching the teams play after our games or before our games, that kind of helped me a lot too. To learn players, to learn teams, just to know where to attack certain things. I would say this is the most basketball I watched when I was overseas. You know, like normally I would watch because it's some guys that I know and I would want to watch their games, but I was just watching games to just watch games to kind of figure it out a lot. I also spent a lot of time like with our head coach, our head coach there. He was really good with me. Just trying to teach me and stay on top of me. And he's Spanish, but he used to coach in Vesconia under a Serbian coach. So he has both of that in him. Yeah. This, <laughs> this right here would be the hardest combination that I've had so far for sure. But he's a great, he's a great guy, though. All the coaches I've had over here have been great guys, even though sometimes I'm like, you guys are crazy, but they're good guys. <laughs> <laughs>
2: okay. Franz, in terms of watching film. What are the things like that you look for, like you said, to figure out where to attack, or how do you find guys' tendencies?
0: I look for things that I'm I like to do or that I that I do in games. So I watch how guards come off pick and rolls. For me on my team, I was more guarding a guy that was coming off of a lot of screens. Which way to take certain things away? I would also look to learn how to when I come off a screen, who's going to be open? Which way does the help come from? If you take this way of an angle. Could you lob it to your big guy? Could you throw it over the defender to your big guy? Even though he's moving at a fast pace, if the big guy's backpedaling, are you still able to throw it? If he steps up, is it a quicker pass than a slower pass? It was a lot of things I was kind of really trying to take in, but it helped. It really helped.
1: Franz, on that same thread, when you'd watch a lot of film as a player, how would you then try to transfer it to your next practice You know, was it something that you just now were looking for that you hadn't seen before or you would try to rep it now on the floor or you would talk to your coach about repping it? I mean, what would you do to help you take what you saw on film and then start to do it on the floor?
0: I think for me, it helped me ask the questions in practice and help me ask the right questions in practice i'm big on that if i don't really understand it i'll ask or if i have an idea i would ask what do you think if i come off and throw it quicker this way just because it's something that i've saw and nine times out of ten the coaches they've seen the same thing that i'm looking at because they're studying these other teams as well i think it helped me with my communication and if i'm able to understand why to do things it's easier for me to do them and it also helped me with communication with the coach. You know, he, he's kind of like, "Oh, wow, you you watching this too?" You know, like it builds trust there as well. So I would say it definitely helped me ask the right questions and to understand it better.
1: Speaking of, you know, transferring things from film over to the floor. You know, one of the things that I know that you do so well is is passing and finding guys. And we'd like to start there with some tactical stuff and how you actually look at passing the ball and moving it. The first thing that stands out to me, like when I watch your film, is you pass with such great touch on the ball. Now, some guys will throw it really hard or some guys will throw it too soft, but throwing a, a pass with great touch and then also throwing a pass to where it's an easy finish for the person who you're throwing the pass to. How do you have developed that skill to know not only how hard or soft to throw a pass to a guy, but then where to throw the pass within all this movement that we're talking about?
0: I would say that's definitely come with Experience. Because I've always, since high school or even before, been a passer that everyone was kind of surprised, like, wow, he made that pass. But just the more I've kept doing it in high school, I was really good at hit-aheads, you know, hitting ahead to the big guy running the floor and uh, hitting ahead to the guards that are running, you know, looking at the defender and reading his feet and being able to make the right pass at the right time. So I would say experience definitely helped me with passing for sure. Then I just became more comfortable with it. I think for me, I like being able to make the up-ahead pass because it just makes the game easier for me. It makes the game easier for our team. You play fast, you score, you get the ball at the three-point line. It's a 24-second shot clock. You get the ball at the three-point line at 21 seconds, 20 seconds. You have so much more time to play offense. And I think this is kind of what some most coaches like about me too, like hitting ahead and being able to play well in transition um, because it makes things a lot easier for the team. And it's hard for teams to defend this way. This brings me joy, being able to make the right play and the right pass because my teammates are also happy with it. You know, you got a foreman who's busting his ass to get down the floor and you give it to him when he's open. That makes him more comfortable in games. These aren't things you can see, like, in a stat or anything, but it's just good for a team. And for me, I know it's good for players when they come back. That's a good thanks for the pass, thanks for the pass, you know? like So it's like me making everyone happy and also knowing when to make myself happy.
2: Front. You mentioned reading the defender's feet. Can you kind of expound on that a little bit? What are you reading from his feet as far as with the throw ahead pass? So if a guy's
0: backpedaling, I know if I were to hit ahead a little bit further, he can't turn as fast at all because he's backpedaling. If my guy's running at a full speed, there's no way he'll be able to get to him or he's going to foul him. If there's a two-on-one fast break I know to dribble the ball extended out so he can come towards me and once he makes a sudden move towards me get rid of the ball because there's no way he can go both ways at the same yeah. time. so it's just like playing mind tricks kind of with the defender that's in front of you and then it's always better that you got to read the angle as well because this is kind of how I look at it for myself when I'm running I have to read the angle if there's a guy running back Well, let's just say I'm playing the point and he's running with his back towards me and my guy's looking at me. I'm going to throw it to my guy because the defender can't see the ball. So by the time he gets it and starts going, it's going to be a foul or he's going to have to let him go because he doesn't want to foul him. So it's just being able to see it ahead a little bit, then you make the right play, but you have to do it at a fast pace. And if that's taken away, who's the next person coming? This is kind of why I like playing with the Yugoslavian coaches because they force this discipline. Everybody runs the right lane. Everybody gets out and go. And I'm so comfortable at playing at this pace and this type of discipline. If you have people just running all over the place, people jogging, dogging it, that's tough for me because now we're just playing in front of the offense the whole time.
1: We're going to get to the pick and roll and probably more passing within the pick and roll in a second, Franz. But I want to ask you about making the extra pass or, you know, when you're catching it on the perimeter, the ball's whipping around and I guess your decision-making process, when the ball's in the air coming to you, do you know before it touches you where you're going with it or how are you reading to know when you're making the one more pass or when you're going to get into a gap and make a play?
0: Yeah, I'm looking for it as it's coming to me and I'm also looking at the defense. So if I have a guy in a corner, And his man is recovering from help, but he stops when the ball gets to me. I'm gonna wing it as fast as I can because I know my man can just catch and shoot, and he's gonna be late on the closeout. So if the guy's off on the help side, I know our attack is gonna be him because he's gonna have to close out. Our guy's gonna have a shot or he's gonna have a rip by and it's gonna come back to me because my guy's gonna have to help and I'm gonna be the one open for the shot. So I'm always looking at it before and It's just not holding the ball too long. When you hold the ball too long, defense stays in front of you and they can play you how you want to play. Then you're kind of forced to play how they want you to play. So if you can get it, move it around. Even if you don't have nothing, just keep moving it. Just keep moving it. Don't hold it so long. Keeps defense on their toes.
1: On the extra pass, let's say you're on the wing or the slot and the ball's coming to you and you know you have a shooter in the corner. When it's coming to you and you're looking to say, Hey, I'm going to catch it and make the one more pass. But as you're going to make the pass, it feels like the defender's closing the gap and he's not open. Then what's your read? Are, are you then saying, Hey, now I'm just going to get into that gap and make a next play? Or what are you thinking then?
0: I'm attacking. I'm going to attack. And wherever it comes, then I'm going to make the right play or I'm going to get deep in the lane that I got to finish. For me, it's always good when uh, if I catch the ball on the wing and a guy's closing out, I love to attack because. You have so many more options. You have where the pass came from because his help has to come. And if he doesn't get the shot, he's going to make the extra pass to the next guy. So always to catch to attack first. But if he's open, you got to get rid of it right away. And this comes with like team chemistry as well, too. You know, you got to have the right guys for this. Guys who are kind of selfless, you know, if you got guys that want to hold the ball a little bit too long, it's just going to hurt. If a guy doesn't make the pass, I'm telling him he has to make the pass. (laughs) We have to play this way. We have to play this way. If you catch it and he's open, we're not going to catch it, hold it, and then get rid of it. Now he has no shot. Catch it and get rid of it right away just so we can keep our offense and everything going. And guys kind of understand this, you know, and they take it in, like, because I don't want to tell you something that's going to hurt our team and I'm not going to get at you, you know? I'm like, look, listen, I think. When you catch it right away, catch, get rid of it, catch, get rid of it. So I always, I don't want to say train our guys, but I always try to put in their head like how I also see it too because when they receive it from me, they like it. So be the guy to do it for the next person.
2: Sure. Franz, I got a question about throwing bounce passes on the perimeter. And now, of course, there's always going to be times where the defense is going to dictate the bounce pass. I guess my question is, what is like the technique or kind of the skill of the bounce pass. So if you are hitting that shooter, you know, you're not messing the rhythm up where they can still catch and shoot.
0: A lot of times, if I throw the bounce pass on the perimeter, I think a lot of times is when they catch it, they're able to attack because I'm not going to throw it. If I won't get their defender off balance. Okay. So if I'm on the wing and I catch and I get by my guy and his man comes, I'm going to immediately get rid of it with a bounce pass because it's going to be hard for him to defend it. And my player who catches the ball, he's either going to have an open shot or really be able to just attack. It is kind of dangerous sometimes. Like in Spain, it was tough to really do that because teams would play next defense and they'll be in that gap. So you couldn't really throw the bounce pass a lot. So I was doing a lot of jumping and passing. I know uh, coaches don't really like players do that, but I was doing a lot of jumping and passing just to uh, get the pass there. Because once you can get it there, he's so open for the shot. But yeah. For me, it's all about you have to read the defender to get the right bounce pass on the perimeter. Because honestly, if a guy gets it, it's a fast break layup. Because you're already committed, his man isn't ready to go, and it's, yeah, it could get ugly.
1: Yeah. On that similar topic of potentially throwing passes that coaches don't love, <laughs> the <laughs> one-handed pass is something that, as coaches, we, we teach the two-handed chess pass and don't jump in the air. but like you're talking about, sometimes a one-handed pass off of a dribble is a much more effective or quicker pass or the jump pass. Can you talk to that? For me, coming
0: off the pick and roll, the one-handed pass is almost kind of the right thing to do for me if I'm coming off to my left. And just before I can get both hands on it, I get rid of it with one to the wide open guy right away and he's able to shoot quick. If I got to gather with two, gives the defense time, gives the big man a lot of time gives the help, time to get back. So it's just how fast you can really get rid of it with one because it surprises the defense at the same time. But this is something I think that also comes with experience. I like coming off and being able to hit opposite corner or opposite wing with the one hand, you know, because I don't know, for me, it's it's just quicker. It's quicker for the the ball to get there and the defense is off balance.
2: Franz, if you were to teach passing out of the dribble, I guess what are the the key teaching points or what are you when you're passing out of the dribble what what are you emphasizing in yourself
0: i'm looking at the help not the big guy but the off help to where the ball could go to so again if i'm playing off going off to the left side of the court I'm looking where the help is on the right side uh, if it's a little bit too much in the lane because here again overseas you could be in the lane yeah. and they teach if he's a little bit too much off you can get rid of it so fast to the corner and he won't be able to do anything at all So it's all about reading where the help is at the same time and not being predictable. If you come off every time, teams are going to get onto it. But you have to be, one, you have to be aggressive. I think that's the first thing. You have to be aggressive. And then, two, you have to read where the help is. Mm -hmm. If teams know you're coming off just to pass, they're just going to stay with their guys. And not even help so much. And you won't have a pass. You have to play one and one with the big. Mm -hmm. This isn't really a good thing to do but you come off being aggressive, trying to play in different attack areas, then teams are like, oh, okay, we really have to help. We have to respect this. Then you can get off of it.
2: Yeah. And with the technique, uh, looking at the pass itself, how are you controlling it and delivering it on time, on target?
0: Honestly, it's before before I can dribble again, honestly. So I take one dribble and I'm looking already. Yeah. And before I can go in, I'll get rid of it. It's something that, I've never really had to practice. It just kind of came towards me. But it's being able to throw it while you're off balance, while you're moving, or while you're still making a decision. So it's really, like we said in the beginning, it's like slowing the game down. So it's really like slowing the game down a little bit, but still moving and being able to read and still playing fast. Because I was taught my first year, don't play a lot of dribbles coming off a pick and roll first dribble gets you off the second dribble, you could be able to make a decision. And this is what the coach taught me. Mm-hmm. So that kind of just stayed on me. So my second dribble, I'm either making a decision to hit an open guy or to attack and be aggressive.
1: Franz, you kind of naturally transitioned us into our pick and roll conversation. And so going now into the pick and roll and going into the reads and all that, I want to start with pre-pick and roll. Before the the screen actually gets to you, how you're setting your man up, how you're reading the screen, how you're reading the backside defense, kind of your progression to set your man up to have an effective pick and roll.
0: Yeah, I always want my guy to be lower than the screen and I always want to play the screen low. So if he goes under, I can shoot, always have him off balance before you use the screen because then he'll get hit no matter what. You always want to make sure he gets hit on the screen. And also where you catch the ball as well. For me, I like catching the ball where I can attack, but I can also play pick and roll. So all these things are thoughts that I think about before I catch the ball. Uh, let's just say if I don't have it, before I catch the ball, I'm thinking, okay, I need to catch it here. So if when the screen comes, he has to go over. I want to catch it in the corner. So the guy has to go over and help, or the big man has to step and I can get rid of it for a pass. So it was just thinking about where where I want the ball, where I want to start the pick and roll, and being able to get the guy off balance.
1: Going back to keeping him off balance. When I watch you on film, you do such a great job of stopping, starting, you know, going, coming back, setting your man up. You know, let's say you have a live dribble. How are you setting him up with your body and with your pace before the pick and roll?
0: Now this is something like I kind of had to train a little bit, just different ways of doing it with live dribble. Um, if I'm coming down a sign. To maybe attack really aggressive and slow up, maybe back to the basket a little bit, face up and then go because I didn't know all the different ways, you know. So these different things that I had to learn on my own. So it's always with the live dribble, always be aggressive, stop, go, stop, go, but know when your
2: screen is coming. Franz, now coming off that screen, I'm curious. And let's say it's they're in a drop coverage or they're, you know, they're not blitzing out at you. How do you go about manipulating the defense as far as, you know, we talked about that hitting that corner guy. So how are you kind of maybe trying to get the tag to sink in or the tag to get off to maybe move the defense and open up some passes for yourself? This is kind of the fun part to me. It's a game, really. I'm trying to get the big
0: to just bite at you a little bit. So maybe it's you pick up your dribble like you're going for a layup, but you have no intentions of a layup, and the big comes to help and you get rid of it. For me, when I come off a pick and roll, it's always reading the big because I like making the pass to the big guy for the layup. Mm -hmm. But I know if I can't get this, I also know which other outlets are going to be. But uh, when it's just me and the big, if it's on a 2 on 2 me and my big and the defender and their big, I'm always trying to bait the defensive big guy. Always bait him. Always make him take a step towards me. Maybe dribble out a little bit as if I'm going to shoot and get rid of it. This is the game part, and this is the fun part I, I like the most because for a guy that likes to play pick and roll, it's the rewarding feeling when you can hit a guy to just easy layup. You know, it kind of feels like you score. You know, I, for me, when I, I always get so hyped up when this happens. I got to calm down. Like, All right, one basket, let's get to the next one. You know? Because then I feel like, okay, now it's going to be a good night because now he doesn't know if he has to help me stay with his – I can finish then help has to come from other places. And then uh, this is really like a game, almost like a cat and mouse game.
2: How aware are you of your man? Who's maybe fighting over that screen and what are you doing maybe to keep him out of the play or I guess, yeah, what's kind of your progression with your man recovering?
0: A lot of guys are different. Some guys like being physical with their man coming off. So maybe bumping and playing snake and keeping them behind. Yeah, I like using my speed and having distance. Um, if I can create a distance, I can make a lot of decisions in this distance. So I don't really play too physical with my guy coming off. But I know once I get a step on him, it's kind of hard for him to either contest or do anything with me. This is like my least worry. Okay, the guy that's defending me—that's probably the last person like I would think about on a pick and roll because he's already done. Yeah, I'm already making a decision before he can even get back to me, and me being a little bit taller. I'm also able to see over and be able to attack and he's not able to find me. So he's kind of the last guy that I think about
1: moving along on this same point that Pat's bringing up, you know, a lot of times for coaches trying to teach the ball handler, what and who to read to make the decision between making the drop-off pass to the big to skipping it weak side or to score you yourself, someone that's such a great passer, What are your reads for you to know when I'm coming off, I'm going to hit the roller, I'm going to skip it to the weak side, or then if none of that's available, knowing when to go to get a bucket yourself. For sure.
0: When I first come off reading the big, if I have a step on the big, I'm going to go score it. If I can get past his hip, I'm going to go score it no matter what, when he can't turn and it's hard for him to block. I learned different in Spain with that, though, because those guys is athletic as hell. <laughs> but I know if I can get a step on the big, I'm going to go as close as I can to the basket to score. To be able to skip when I come off, I'm going to look where the offside help is and I'm going to know when I can skip. And then to for the bounce pass to the big, if a guy's in drop, then it's cat and mouse all the time. If he's in hedge, you get off of it really quick. Mm. So it's all about the defenses. Normally, it's like when you do your scouting, you know how defenses are going to play. You. But, okay, after the first one or two, then I'm able to read it for the rest of the game to know how they're going to defend me and
2: which parts of the court. Franz, if we can stick on finishing against the big, and like you said, in, in Spain, when they're so athletic, so you got them on your hip, I guess... What's kind of in your bag as far as how you're going to finish against him?
0: I like finishing with contact always. I like contact around the basket, everything. So if he's on my hip and I'm either going to wait for him and try to finish in front, or if he's coming from help side, I'm going to try to lean into him and finish outside. Mm -hmm. I'm going to try to go through him. I'm going to try to go body to body. I like contact. It's just all about the speed. You either come off the hip and you finish really quick. If you don't finish quick, then you know it's going to be a contact finish, and you just got to kind of prepare
2: yourself for it. Yeah, with that quick finish, are you trying to get him on the the wrong step, like the one foot finish, or how are you trying to quick finish on him?
0: Yeah, I w- I would do same foot, same foot finish. Yeah, that, yeah, for sure. Also, if I come off with a hesitation, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna shoot and he steps a little bit. Right away, and just try to go with the one hand finish. Yeah. If you bring it with two, he could recover. It's kind of tough. Then the help side can also come get it. For me, I'm luckily too, because I'm also a little taller. Like I said, I'm a little taller and I can jump a little bit. So, uh, <laughs> so <laughs> that helps. But coming off pick and rolls, I also like doing floaters in the lanes because I know even if I miss the big guys coming towards me, my guy would get a rebound. It's like a make-me. You miss it, your guy gets a rebound, he finishes it. I always tell, like, guys that I play with, too, now I'm kind of an older guy. So uh, (laughs) now I kind of tell the younger guys, look, listen, if he's playing drop and he's playing with you, just get it on the rim. Just get it on the rim. One, you're probably going to make it. Or if not, then you give it a chance for a rebound. Your guy's still behind you. The big guy has to go box his man out. You might even get a chance to rebound and finish yourself. So, uh. I always try to be aggressive if a big man's playing with me in the middle area of the pick and roll.
1: Okay. Yeah. Franz, how about if he goes under? Now, we've talked about you get downhill and all these, but then setting up to go when he goes under to shoot it.
0: Yeah. Here, the best option is if he goes under to play rescreen. Okay. That's the best thing. Okay. If, you, if he goes under, you take a shot. Okay. But it's not really the best option for your team team you know or the best option the coach will want of course you got to be aggressive and take it all the time but they're just going to keep going under and keep going under and keep going under so it's better to come off and drag it out a little bit and then play the rescreens twice because on rescreens space is so open for you you'll get a better shot you'll get a better pass you'll get a better look for you and your team on the rescreen but if he's go if he's under bury it
2: Franz, if we can give you one more pick and roll situation now, the stack or the Spanish screen, you're coming off of that. What's your reads or what's the timing, the patience to allow things to develop I actually like being the guy who sets the screen. Okay. And I also like the guy who plays
0: it one, because I get to hit the big guy because <laughs> all guards <laughs> like hitting big guys. Um, and then if your man helps, you're also open for a three. But uh, when I'm coming off with the ball, my look is honestly to try to get to the basket but not going so fast and forgetting about the spanish screen you can get to the basket all the guys are yelling spanish 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 so the big guys are already looking for the back screen to come a lot of times the guard is wide open for the layup and there's no help at all but i like for me on the spanish a lot of the times the throwback the guard is open for the three when you start yelling spanish or back screen the big start getting into the lane, so the confusion comes between the guards, mm-hmm. and you a lot of times have your guard wide open. And when he hits this three, it's like you <sighs> feel you feel like a big three, you know. So I remember uh, maybe it was Bomberg and they were playing this uh, Spanish screen with us, and it was kind of my first time seeing it. Like what the fuck? What is this? Sorry, I'm like, what is this? What is this? Why can't I? Don't know what to do, coach. What do we do? what do we do, you know? So, but this was years ago.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah. So uh, now I understand. <laughs> yeah.
1: Franz, like reading as a ball handler, we talked about the regular to single pick and roll. You're reading the big mostly right. in the Spanish pick and roll. Are you as a ball handler reading the big or are you reading the guard who's guarding the Spanish screener? <laughs> or are you trying to do both? I mean, I know there's two guys in there, but what's your better yeah. read?
0: I think the better read is the big because if he messes up, it's an easier play. It's an easier layup for you, a wide a wide open layup for you. Mm-hmm. But if he gets hit and the, the guard does not help, it's a dunk. But that's probably the hardest pass to make is to the big guy because there's so much going on. It may be a bump at the end and it may slow him down and the ball just go out of bounds. But I think the read is definitely the big guy because – He makes the wrong step, then it's an easier play.
1: Okay. Franz, last topic we'd like to move into before we get to our overrated, underrated. We do briefly want to hit on off ball defense. And, you know, at the levels you've played at, I know there's all kinds of action and screens and misdirections and stuff for shooters and guys coming off screens off the ball. You know, you being someone that's a heady player and a high IQ guy, knowing how to manipulate the defense with the ball. How do you stay as a really solid off-ball defender with all this action going on?
0: Yeah, this is kind of what my coaches like having me do. Sometimes I don't like it because it's a lot of running off the screens. And, <laughs> uh, but uh, for me, again, I like playing physical. So giving a guy one way, don't let him be able to pick which way he wants to go. Being able to squeeze through screens, being able to run through shoulder screens Talking to your big guy to stand back and facing so he can't get off, so he can't run towards the screen. He runs directly into you. It comes with a lot of communication, but it also comes with a lot of experience. It's like playing mind games. One one time you stand in front of them, don't allow them to use the screen. Next time you chase him, it's always good to chase guys because they got to make a play. You know, it's not just a simple catch and shoot. Maybe you chase two times and he's coming so hard off the screen, you just go under the big and you meet them there. I think that comes with experience, but I, I think I'm good at it because I like being physical. I'm not gonna let you come back this way. You're gonna go this way. Sometimes yeah. I get fouls, but okay, we understand, but we're not doing that. In Germany, I was really good at this. Spain, you know, these guys could go, these guys <laughs> could go, and then you got these big screens. Like, I couldn't do it one time against Madrid. I could not do it one time. <laughs> It's like, what am I even doing here? Really? What am I doing? You know, like, it's like they're playing chess already, you know? Okay. Force me this way. Thank you. All right. Come on. Be physical with me.
2: Yeah.
0: And then they got the, they got the guys for it. They got the guys that come off the screen and shoot off with one leg. You know, yeah. they got the, the guy that they can throw it up to. They got all these different things. So you got to kind of know the player. You got to yeah. kind of, while well, I learn in Spain, you got to learn, you got to know the team. You just got to kind of have a foundation for yourself.
2: Franz, in terms of being physical, is it, are you physical with him before he starts to maybe make his cut or come off the screen, or is it as he's running off the screen, or is it the whole time?
0: It's more so before he starts, because you're not allowing him to go back, even though he wants to know yeah. you're going, where yeah, I send you, and the point of contact of the screen that he's coming off of. So as the contact's coming, if it's pushing them off a little bit so you can squeeze through, you know, guys here, they flop and then they get all the, uh oh, he pushed me. And then rest are like, now the rest are like, no, we're not doing We're not letting you get that away. And then also, the big guy isn't going to try to keep squeezing and screening. If he moves, then it's an offensive foul. So, my mindset is uh, don't let him get so far in distance ahead of you. And at the point of contact, be there. So, all three of you are there together. Okay, yeah. You are and him at the same time. And then, you got to be able to take a hit too,
1: Franz. You mentioned um, Madrid was just so difficult, or just the ACB in general with all this off-ball action. Was it because they run such great off-ball movement that made it so hard to guard, or was it because the guys just knew how to read the screen so well, or was it you know both? And obviously having good players. Yeah, you
0: got both. You know, you got these teams are some some of the best teams in Europe. You know, you've got these guys who can read these plays, who've been reading these plays since they were 16 years old.
1: Well, so I'm guessing that's why we're like only giving them one way to go yeah. is helpful, right? Because yeah. if you give them both ways, it's Yeah, dinner. it's yeah. dinner time. <laughs> really,
0: really uh, don't give them two and uh, yeah, really just try your best with it. But uh, it's different because you take one thing away, he gets off of it, a fade screen comes and you don't know. And then... He'll cut to the bat. It's just constant movement, constant movement. We fight, we all fight through the screen. Okay, you think you can relax. He's going off of another one. So there's just constant movement, constant going. You literally gotta guard one guy for 24 seconds and his shot doesn't come until the last three seconds. Then you gotta go play offense and come do it again. <laughs> yeah. so, so and then there's a sub and it's another guy that can do it again. So, <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Okay, that's That's the tough part right there, you know.
1: Could you maybe uh, walk us through just because, you know, you're guarding, you know, floppy action or some sort of action underneath and they come off of a double stagger, but then you get through all that stuff and then they're immediately coming with a step up on ball screen. Now you got to go from off ball defense to on ball defense and your tactics there. What is that like to go through 24 seconds of going from help side to then on the ball?
0: I don't know if I was ready for this until like maybe a couple games after the season started. You know, because you kind of you gotta get one, you gotta get used to playing defense for so long. Cause he would come off a double a double stagger, and then he'll catch it, then he'll play pick and roll. And it's like, oh, I gotta get over it. And, I, and then he'll attack and I got to keep going because at the end we might have to jump switch. So you're playing all over the court. You know, it takes a lot for you mentally, but also physically. You know, you got to take the hits on each screen. You also got to be focal because, OK, if I were to come off of a double stagger and he catches the ball, you got to also hear your defender, which way the screen is coming, how he wants you to play. You might want you to ice it. What I like to do is if I have him come off a double stagger and he catches it to play ping and roll, I'll point in the direction I'm going to make him play in. Therefore, we're, everyone's on the same page. You see which way I'm I'm sending him. So I'll point if we're coming off the left side, he catches it. I'm pointing here and we're keeping him all this way. So the screen has to come from this side. It can't come from any other way. He has to go this way. And I would say that's kind of my physicality a little bit, but Always letting your your big man know which way you're gonna go and okay. keep them that way.
1: I would imagine with all that stuff going, that's why guys pretend like they get caught up in screens so they don't have to keep guarding all the way through,
0: <laughs> <right>? <laughs> A lot of guys are bad for sure. But I'm not one of those guys. That's right. That's why you're still playing. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. I'm not one of those guys. You don't you don't get through one of those screens or you don't fight over that ball screen going to get cold on the bench. <laughs> it's going to get cold. <laughs> and, again, the type of coaches that, that want you to get through screens as if they're not even there. There's no way I can get through a screen. It's it's hard. It's hard. You know, <laughs> but They keep drilling you with it. They drill you with it for
2: sure. Franz, if we can look at one last kind of off-ball uh, defensive situation, and that's when you're the tag man. I'm curious to hear, how do you navigate being the tag when to tag, where you should tag, but also not over committing to where you're opening up that skip corner and unable to close out at. I would say defensively, this was probably the most difficult for me because you have to read
0: so much. You got to read where the screens coming from. First, you have to be there. You know, you don't want to be going as the movement is going. So you Mm -hmm. have to be there first. Then you have to read your big, if he's moving, if if he's coming back and being able to keep, the pick and roll or the situation in front of him or to keep his man in front of him so he can't get behind for a pass. And also, as the ball is coming towards you, you also got to get back towards yours a little bit as the ball is coming, because if not, then it's just going to be an easy pass and an easy shot. So it's a lot to read. And a lot of times as the ball is coming towards me, I'm getting back to my man, but you still kind of have to be in position a little bit. It's a lot to read on a tag, but the most important thing I would say is starting there. If the ball's on the right wing, already be in off-help position. Don't be late there. Then using your communication. If there's a guy above you, take the guy that goes up. I'll stay with the guy that goes back. You get the first pass, I'll X-cut to the next pass. I think that comes with like team rules, you know, like how you play your team Mm -hmm, defense. If I know I'm going to be in help side and I'm going to tag, I trust that if the first pass goes to the corner my guy is going to go and I'm going to X cut and take his if I get beat I know he may help and I may switch back to mine and it's just a, like a bunch of different defenses that you kind of got to trust others to do their job as well
2: yeah speaking with that starting position and you mentioned it's a lot of maybe defensive scheme but is there kind of like a overall prevailing kind of idea of like be two feet in the paint like put yourself under the basket if you're going to be that tag guy or one foot or where is that starting point
0: normally it's uh depending on where the pick and roll is Mm -hmm. if the pick and roll is high i'm more so one foot in or two more one not normally two but if the pick and roll is high i'm a little bit up up the lane yeah up the lane exactly if it's a little bit lower i'm maybe a little bit less up the lane but i'm normally one foot in. Because I got to be able to get to both, and I got to be able to read at the same time. But I know uh, as long as I could get to them, I'm already in good position. Yeah. You know, you just got to be able to get there and wall as much as you can, and your big will come back and help some way somehow. It's definitely a tricky situation because you also got to watch your guy from cut and again. But <laughs> well, even here in Italy, like your guy, they they cut behind, and it's just like you're you're so focused, and the guy cuts, and you just there looking stupid. You like. Oh, man. <laughs> Uh, And then your guy gets a layup and you don't even want to look at the coach running back and then you get in more trouble for not looking at him. So, uh,
1: (laughs) Franz, we appreciate we've, uh, I know we're testing your brain uh, with all this stuff. (laughs) I like, like, it's like,
0: I could get it off, you know, I can get it off my mind.
1: (laughs) Yeah. We do want to transition now to a fun segment that we call overrated or underrated. And we, uh, we've each got a, a couple of different scenarios for you, basketball-ish, and you can tell us if it's overrated, underrated, maybe why, and then we can have a fun little discussion around it. Cool, cool. Okay. So, first one for me, overrated or underrated, the team bus ride?
0: <sighs> <laughs> uh, wow. It is... Overrated, okay. No, yeah, yeah, it's overrated. (laughs) You mean by the length of the bus ride, or
1: I just mean the whole experience.
0: It's overrated. Guys put their Netflix on, they go to their seat, they chill. You make a stop here, guys, they go to the bathroom, they get back. Oh, yeah, it's pretty much overrated. You get cramped, uh, you get cramps in your legs. Uh, you got to bring a pillow, the bumpiness. Yeah, it's overrated for
1: sure, (laughs) for sure. Franz is, is there a situation where it's underrated like after a big win
0: <laughs> one of my teams when we would have a big win would make a stop and the the coaches and the GM would get us some beers so <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I would say that's definitely a good thing you know uh yeah yeah after big wins it's definitely it's definitely underrated
1: <laughs> Not yeah, those beers are probably not when you're at Drexel. That was uh, a <laughs> that, that professor. <laughs> Definitely not a Drexel. <laughs> one, of those, <laughs> one of these countries, though.
0: One of these yeah. countries, they did a good Okay. Yeah.
2: okay. <laughs> All right, Franz overrated or underrated? Four on four. Four
0: on four? Uh, no, I would say it's underrated. Four on four is underrated. Three on three is overrated. Two on two is underrated. 4-on-4 four four is more of a game situation. You could play pick and roll, and you could also get to different helps and have rotations. Okay. 3-on-3, three three, you set a pick and roll, guys open. It's not realistic at all. But 4-on-4 four four is good for shells and closing out and being able to get in lanes and stunts. And, and also 4-on-4 four four transition is also good as well. So, yeah, I definitely think it's underrated. I think it's a good drill, but don't do it for so long. Don't do yeah. it for too long.
2: Yeah. When you're in these practices and you're on a drill... What's kind of the length that you like as a player to where like, okay, we get it. Let's move on. Or when does it start to drag? They always drag.
0: (laughs) 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 But, uh, I don't know. Let us just go twice each, you know, or three times each, if you really want us to get it. And then let's move on to the next drill. You know, you you four on four, you got three groups of four. Yeah. Okay. Everyone defense twice, three times and then, okay, let's go.
1: Yeah. Franz, I just want to run back because you gave us like a couple of extra yeah. over underrated, which we like. So you said four on four underrated. You said three on three overrated, right? I want to come back to that in a second. And then you said two on two was underrated. Yes. One on one overrated, underrated. Overrated. Overrated. Okay.
0: Everybody likes these one on ones and king of the courts. And uh, we play dribbles and we do spin moves and all uh, there's no consequence if you miss. It's either you just get the shot up or you don't. And guys are doing. This is not what you do in the game. You know. Yeah. We're not throwing it over and catching it. And oh, yeah. one-on-one's <laughs> overrated. Might not ever play one-on-one ever. And if I do, it's okay. A word <laughs>
1: Okay. Well, then I want to go back to the other overrated one, which is three on three. And I think it's really interesting you say that because, as coaches. We love three on three to you know teach certain things, but I, I like your point of view from a player standpoint of and like Pat and I've talked about too, teaching three on three with the pick and roll. It's like everything's open because yeah. it's just it's hard. So can you expand a little bit as to why you think three on three is not as good?
0: I think three on three with the pick and roll is overrated. You know, if you have to do if you put three guys on the baseline and three guys at the top of the key and you roll the ball and one has to close out and he you may have to. Uh, run into the position of help and not directly to your man. Okay, I can understand this being more helpful, but playing three on three with pick and roll not really so helpful at all because someone's just always open. You don't have your help side and this isn't really a real game situation. It's just always going to be someone open on a three-on-three pick-and-roll situation.
2: I completely agree. I was a, I was an all-star on three-on-three pick-and-rolls, but five-on-five, five, <laughs> not so much. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> so overrated or underrated elevator screens?
0: They're overrated. I mean, a lot of the times now... If you just teach your guys how to defend it, there's no really point of it at all, really. You tell your four man to jump out and the guy just takes the four, you know. So it's not really that much of a big deal. It's a rush shot. Uh, yeah, it's overrated for sure.
1: Uh, yeah, and I, I ask because, uh, in you know, when we were preparing and watching some film of you off the ball, there's a lot of times some teams are running some elevator screens where you're trying to get through. My question for you on the follow-up is... What are you taught defensively if you're guarding the guy who's going through the elevator and you're late, right? You're behind and the elevator doors are closing. Are you just trying to blast those two guys in the screen and have your four jump out? Are you trying to go over or under? What are you What are you doing?
0: No, if you blast, them guys ain't moving. Those guys ain't moving. <laughs> <over. laughs> so you either get real angry and if you blast through, you're just blasting to make a foul and it's going to stop the play. But honestly, if he gets a shot off and it goes in, then they get the ball back. But for me, if I know I'm not going to make it, I'll send a four. the four. Four man would just jump out and step out. Some teams I played it where the guy closest to the baseline of the elevator, he'll jump out. Okay. And then I would just take his man. I've been angry a couple of times and just ran through it and just knocked <laughs> one of the guys over. I was sending the screen and it's a foul and I just put my hand up. It's a foul.
2: But <laughs> yeah. I, just,
0: I don't like those. I don't like those at all. <laughs>
2: <laughs> for sure. Okay overrated or underrated flipping the screen in a pick and roll
0: underrated I like flipping the screen man because it throws off everyone it throws off the the big guy and it gives you more of a a leeway so if we're playing a side ball screen and then they force ice and then he flips the screen oh you snake it and you place you have so many options and It just opens up the game. It's like a breath of fresh air, honestly. Like, you get so much space. You get so many open looks. You could be aggressive. I think this is underrated, and I think, like, teams should do it more. Because, again, like myself, if I, like, forcing guys to go off screens and you flip the screen on me, I'm in a tough position. And then if you snake me, then I'm really in a tough position because I'm behind everything. I think flipping screens is definitely underrated.
1: Yeah. How do you communicate to your big when you want him to flip his angle of the screen when you have the ball?
0: I've held the ball a couple dribbles and yelled, flip the screen, flip the screen, flip the screen. And then he'll flip it and then I'll go attack and get a layup. But uh, normally uh, if I dribble backwards, uh, like a retreat dribble, then that's kind of like the this is what I kind of tell the big. If I take like a retreat dribble back, then just flip the screen because then I can cross and attack and get to it. And then we can both play at the same time. But if I'm not being vocal, then I just yell, flip the screen. It's good for you when you're big, if you have like also great communication and with all the bigs I play with, like I, I always have like a on court chemistry because I like playing pick and roll and then they like getting layups, you know, so it's like, <laughs> <Right>. makes sense. <laughs> so, yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. see why I see why we're so cool. <laughs> yeah. but, uh,
2: if we make the ball screen, if it's a top ball screen and the guy's just playing you straight up. Is there any sort of communication with if like the big maybe trying to flip it to mess up his defender? So is there any kind of communication that he'll signal to you or you signal to him so you obviously you both know which way to go. This is kind of before
0: you talked about this before. Okay. Because that could go wrong. Yeah. That can go wrong, you know. On some teams we actually uh we had like a a two or a one. Uh, like It's just odds and evens. It would make different things. So okay. we'd always be on the same page before he even came. We'll go down on the other end. It'd be The ball may stop and I'll stay next time because uh, your guy steps out really hard. Flip it and we'll go the other way.
1: We've talked a lot today about using the screen, setting your man up, but when do you make the decision to reject the screen? What's your read on not using it?
0: As soon as the guy looks or it turns his eyes or...
1: And are you trying to set them up for that all the time? Are you trying to reject first? Is that like your first option? Or are you trying to get them to use it first?
0: I normally come off first because I always want to use reject when uh, the game is tight because, okay, it's a foul or you get a basket. And when it's tight, they're not really thinking reject, you know? So there's guys that always reject and I know, okay, this guy wants to reject. So I'm going to make sure he doesn't reject. I'm going to stand there and make sure he gets there. Mm-hmm. But... I'm always trying to say that I don't want to do it for the first, unless he's being right. so aggressive that I just got to get you off and yeah. so you can play right, just play right, really. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, my coach would like when I would reject just because I'm left-handed and the reject to the left was just always kind of not really thought
2: about. Franz, do you think people forget that you're left-handed playing? <laughs> yep.
0: I don't get it. I don't get it. (laughs) Okay, yeah. I don't want to tell my secrets. I don't want to tell my secrets. But (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. A lot of the times I hear coaches on the sideline, he's going left. He's lefty. He's lefty. Maybe some guys just don't want to, like, believe it. But, yeah, I'm (laughs) 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 left-handed. Just keep doing what you're doing and keep letting me. Yeah, Yeah. It's good for me because we could play on both sides of the courts now with teams. I think some coaches like me because of this, you know, like now we can have guys coming off to the right with their strong hand and we have a guy coming off with his left to the strong hand. If we have our right-hand guys coming off the left with their weekend, it gets a little shaky a little bit, you know? So uh, now we can play on both sides of the floor and we can play pick and roll on both sides of the floor as well with the same decision, aggression, or the same intentions. Um, I think this is what works for me too, being able to be one and the two being able to be a two and a one because it's changing now. I think next I'll be a three and a two. I don't know, but but being able to be a two and a one and being able to play on both sides of the court. I think that helps me with jobs, honestly.
2: Yeah, no, I think it's a great point. I think, I mean, I'll see teams out in Europe. They'll run like a turnout, but it's always turning out so they can get to the right hand on that pick and roll. Like, and coaches tell them like, no, don't, just go out this side. We want you using your right.
0: This year, yeah, I'm the only guy going on the, I'm the only left hand. The year before in Spain, too, left hand. It's like when you really start thinking about the value of a person, Okay, you think about, okay, he could play a two and a one. Okay, he could play pick and roll coming off the left. Okay, he can make the right decisions. He can defend it. He can shoot it. It's like, for me, it kind of works out just that way, and it helps a lot yeah. left hand.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Franz, on that point, is that something you've known your whole career? Like, Hey, I need to get good at these things because I'm going to get jobs. Or you just sort of slowly figured it out as you've been over there?
0: Yeah. I just started becoming like a mature basketball player. And what I'm good at is what I'm good at. And what I'm not is what I'm not good at. Like I'm not really good at one thing, but I'm averaging in a bunch of different things, you know? So it's like, Swiss army knife a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> sure. So it worked it works that way for me. You know, you don't have I'm not just a guy who's really good on offense or a guy that's really good on defense. He'll give you 80%, 80% in both. You know, it's like uh so now when I train, I train for just what I'm gonna do in the game, you know. Before when I first started out, I needed to do every drill in the world. Is Kyrie mm-hmm. doing that? I'm doing mm-hmm. that. It, <laughs> LeBron doing that, I want to do that too, you know. So, but now as you grow up as a mature basketball player, what works for you is what you need to work on. Of course, you can expand your game in different ways, but what you can do in the games is what you really work on.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, it's really well said. Yeah. Well, Franz, you're off the overrated, underrated hot seat. That was awesome. <laughs> We're going to finish up with you right here. We have one more question for you, but before we do, uh, this has been a blast. So, thank you for spending the time with us. Yeah, thanks
0: a lot. Thanks for having me. Really, like, love talking basketball. As you can
1: see, when you're done playing, I'm sure there'll be plenty of coaching opportunities for you out there. So, <laughs> <laughs> hey, to finish, I know that you're someone that does a great job and, and you're cognizant of giving back to your community that you came from, Trenton, New Jersey. And you've had a lot of people that have helped you in the community when you're coming up. And now that you've gone off and had a great pro career, you know, it's something that I know is important to you to to give back to your community. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that, about going back to your community and, and being a part of it.
0: This is This is big for me, just always being able to go home and be the same person I was before I became who I am. You know, like maybe not a big deal to the world, but to my city, maybe a bigger person. You know what I mean? So it's... It's super important for me to, when I go back, to always do something from my high school to try to I do scholarships for my high school. I have a basketball league for my city. Crime is high. What do I know that I can help with? Let's get guys into a safe, comfortable space and have basketball. And we're in an arena when they could be outside running around doing bad things. You know, let's bring the whole city together. I do this alumni league. And it's a bunch of different high schools in our area. All the alumni players, they play on one team and we play together. And it's all fun and and love, you know, and everyone in the city wants to come around and see it. So it's like finding different ways that I can always show love and show my presence in the city. Anything I can do, things I don't even I don't even plan to do. Someone may ask me, hey, can you come talk here? Hey, can you come talk there? And I may be busy all day. All right, I'll come do it. You know, so it's just really big for me to be. For people to know me in my city, one, I'm not around as much. So when I am there, I want to make as much of an impact as I can. But even when I'm not around, just to make an impact, if it's messaging the young kids back at home, if it's watching their games on YouTube, if it's doing anything I can, you know, so I always like being present. I always like doing as much as I can. I'm always thinking what I can do next for my city.
1: And that's amazing too. Just, you know, a young guy like you to have that kind of foresight to do that. What is it about the game of basketball you think, you know, brings people together and helps with building community?
0: Yeah, everybody likes basketball. You know, when you start getting into your city basketball, everyone likes the trash talk. Everyone likes that activity, the music, the microphone, people are getting off work and being able to go do something, you know, so uh, basketball really brings people together all over the world and I love it. And this is what I love to do. So it's easy for me to bring basketball back at home. You know, it's easy for me to bring my experience back at home. Everyone kind of likes me for doing this, you know, being able to come out to Italy, being able to come home and bring jerseys back or shorts back and give them. And everyone, you see people walking around with it. So basketball is just something that really brings people together, makes people happy. It's a quick game. It's a fast game. You can trash talk. You can express yourself in a game of basketball. You know, uh, people can see your expression People after that, now the internet's a big thing. People go home and they talk on the internet about the games, you have pictures, people are posting pictures from this. So it's a lot with the game of basketball that can make someone's day, honestly. It could be a guy, like for my league, it could be a guy who had a tough day at work and he gets in the game for 30 seconds and we get a good picture of him and now it's his picture for two years in a row, you know? So it's like a bunch of things that could just make a person happy with the game of basketball.
2: Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Please make sure to subscribe to our Sunday morning newsletter for additional insights on this podcast. Have a great week, coaching, and we'll see you next time on Slapping Glass.
1: Do we have a name yet to this thing? I have like Slapping Backboard, Slapping Glass, Slapping Glass. That's kind of funny. I like that. That's good. Slapping Glass.